0: Welcome back to the Hero with a Thousand Potions podcast presented by Gunblade Guys. We are your hosts, Tyler and Nate. Last episode, we left off with Cloud being waylaid by Shinra forces as he catches up to the last train off the plate, while the flower girl Aerith is chased away by dusty ghosts. Today, we're going to finish chapter
1: two. Nate, how are we doing, man? I'm doing all right, Tyler. I had an interesting week where my son, Theodore, we went to the... Local Navy store, and he—we were walking through aisles, and he saw a Mario Kart toy on the shelf, and he instantly went Nahiha, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, you know who that is?" And it's because he has these snacks called funnables and there are Mario funnables and so at some point he's learned who Mario is and so when we got home he had his little Mario Kart toy and I fired up Mario Kart and he was just absolutely enthralled with it and I have to say Mario Kart 8 on Nintendo Switch is insane all the tracks aren't out yet they're still releasing new ones but I think it's going to be almost 100 tracks when they're done there were like another 30 that I had never played before added to the game And it's a lot of fun. They're doing crazy stuff for like the direction of the track switches or alternate routes open up or flop onto each other in the middle of the race. So uh, yeah, it's been really interesting picking up an old game.
0: I've heard of those uh, levels coming out. I wasn't sure if they were DLC or not. And I also wondered if they were revived tracks from previous mario karts too
1: yeah they're mixing in there there's some revived tracks from the old ones there also is a set of ones that are like a world tour track list so there was japan and sydney australia and i think france was in there and a few others so new york was in there and yeah it's it's been pretty great and there's a really interesting thing that normally i play games and i put them down but when i have a small subset of games that i i think are appropriate for my kid to be hanging out I'm, I'm not playing resident evil in front of theodore but those games i like find that i am obsessing over them because i only have two or three or four games i can play mm-hmm. when he's there so it's like hot shots uh, i was playing through hot shots golf and that i perfected everything and Got my rank to the highest it'll go and created these crazy clubs, custom clubs with my points and everything. And now I have a goal of getting all three stars on every course on 200 CC and Mario Kart, which I normally wouldn't do. Normally, I'd just kind of play through it, get golds and be like, all right, I'm done. But now that this is a thing that he enjoys, it's like, all right, we're getting three stars on everything.
0: Cool. Cool. I'm looking forward to something like that with uh, my own little girl. How was
1: your... uh week Tyler what's been going on
0: my wife last night made a fruit of the forest pie
1: what's in a fruit of the forest pie better be some deku nuts in there
0: <laughs> right yeah maybe it should it is blackberry blueberry strawberry and apple all together it is damn good I got it in Alaska I, I was um leading a touring group in Alaska of god it would have been 2018 I think and we were in we were in Tok T O K, tiny tiny town, and we had a we were traveling all day, and we were having this dinner at this small restaurant that basically accommodates traveling tour groups because there's no other reason why anyone would come to this town. And for dessert, they serve this pie I'd never heard of before, fruit of the forest pie. It's a combination of, four, of three berries and an apple, and it's so so good. And I. I uh, mentioned it to my wife then, and she makes it every now and then, and I have it. There's four more slices upstairs. I just had one an hour ago. I'm in a really, really good mood. It's spectacular. (laughs) So uh, that's what's going on with me. What's going on with you, Nate?
1: Well, not much, but you just inspired me to share a story of when I visited Japan. We went to the town of Sendai, and we climbed a giant walkway up to Sendai Castle overlooking the city. It's a fairly sizable metropolis city where when you're at ground level obviously it it looks big and sprawling but then you go on the top of this castle you could literally see the whole thing and it's amazing quite the view but we met a old man up there i forget his name exactly but the like satoshi is ringing out in my head but it's probably not that but we met an old man up there and he wanted to talk to us because we were He could tell we're white people from America. (laughs) And the reason being, he was a member of the JSDF and he was the foreign intelligence liaison back in the day, back in the 60s and 70s. So he knew how to speak English and he always approached foreigners whenever he saw them to keep up his English. So we talked to him in English and he told us that he was climbing the mountain and was going along the pathway, picking up plums from the trees that had fallen so that he could take them home to his wife and she would bake him a pie with plums. Mm. So the fruit of the forest, I don't know what a plum pie tastes like. I, I have no idea. I'm, I'm not even sure I want to try that because it doesn't sound appetizing to me, but your, your fruit of the forest story just put me right back in that headspace. The name is so
0: romantic too. Fruit of the forest pie. It sounds like something you'd craft in Stardew Valley, mm-hmm. right? So we engage in a series of solo battles with just Cloud. We acquaint ourselves with, you know, swapping between operator and Punisher mode, was it? Yes. Pick up some hp up materia which increases your max health by 10 and scales upwards as the material levels we also discover a deadly dodge material which when you do a dodge and then hit the attack button as the dodge completes you will swing your weapon in front of you and do kind of a cleave so these are two materials that are not actually magic spell material like restore fire lightning ice and fill in the blank right these are ability materials and passive stat materials. We're going to see more of these throughout the game when we want to raise certain stats well, we can, we can junction a particular material to it. And then we're going to have other materials that will grant us particular uh, additions to our abilities, like, for example, Deadly Dodge, and we'll see other things like that that enhance your existing toolkit. Definitely. These series of battles will eventually take us into the train station where we are expecting to meet up with the rest of Avalanche And as we do, we encounter different kinds of enemies. We're going to run into more of those attack dogs, and we're going to run into these riot troopers who have these big iron or steel riot shields that they use to protect themselves from standard attacks. This blunts Cloud's auto-attack uh, uh, damage by just single digits, maybe, maybe a little bit higher, but it's, it's a great percentage, uh, less than it should be. What we must do is, um, execute a pro, like a, like a, well, I guess there's a couple different ways you can do it. Uh, one of the ways I did it was to do the block move in Punisher mode, which when someone hits you with a melee attack while you're blocking in Punisher mode, you will, auto-attack them back for a stronger attack, and that disarmed them to, to a point where I could combo again or issue a fire spell onto them and finish them off. Nate, did you do anything clever in these battles as you navigated your way into the train station?
1: I think you nailed it the tactics you need. uh, You have to be patient with these guys once the shields show up. And it's not just about reduced damage, too. They will put Cloud in, like, a state of, like, one-second hit stun if he tries and nails him with the sword to where you're kind of vulnerable. Even if you try or dodge roll or block, you can't oh yeah you're really advised to not even try it with them and wait them out you put yourself in punisher you wait for them to come in and you hit them with the good old counter and then later there's a bit more of them than i cared to wait for so that's when i started dropping fires and saving my atb for that and there's a lot of them they definitely flush this out into a gameplay set piece with more twists and turns than the original game by far it was really just a single sequence in the original game where you could either get into three fights or just run
0: yeah and completely avoid those fights too if memory serves properly i can't remember if you're guaranteed to get into one or anything like that but you can opt out of most of them probably all of them and in remake this action sequence ends with not quite a boss more like an elite mob he's a riot trooper like the others but he's in red armor now instead of i think it was blue or gray and he's got the electrical baton like the other guys do he's got a lot more health his name is the huntsman i don't know what he's hunting perhaps snow white snow very good snow white delirious ex-soldiers and everything in between uh and and because he's stronger you really do have to constrain your battle behavior to the strategy that's going to work to help you complete this guy and we're going to see more of this throughout the game in og You can fudge your way all the way through Midgar with just auto-attacks. You could buy 200 grenade items and carry yourself through Midgar probably just fine. But in OG, gaming culture has developed such that the base ability that the average player has to strategize in, in just combat generally has increased such that we're capable to improve our ability to strategize. And assuming that the game's tutorials have properly taught us and that we remember it and that we're pushing the buttons properly, we know which button does what, we're going to have to complete those strategies According to these boss encounters, as the game completes, they're going to get more complicated. We're going to have to have very particular uh, weapons and armor sets and accessories and a particular set of material to help us get through these battles that we're not going to be able to sleep through
1: otherwise. Yeah, definitely. I have done this segment in hard mode and the huntsman is a beast (laughs) and like in in not in normal mode you kind of can shrug off people shooting at you from a distance or whatever in hard mode if you leave those guys there they will murder you with their gun so you have to get out of the swarm of them take out the range dps go back in get your counter stance on take out the shields because if you try and take on anyone with a shield guy in proximity the presence of their shield will stop your swing so it's really about you got to know your tactics and you got to use that atb wisely so for anybody out there if you get to that point where you can try out hard mode it's really a treat to re-engage some of these fights they they're tuned very well
0: i can imagine it i can imagine getting into hard mode having finish the game i know all these buttons i know what i can and can't do i know how far my dash roll goes i know the cooldown between attacks i know when to swap to punisher and when to swap swap to operator that these that these encounters are probably so much more fun and, and really hard as nails in, in a very enjoyable way
1: yes and to add maybe something we haven't talked about for anybody that wants to try out hard mode the game doesn't reset as far as your weapons, abilities, material on hand, you have everything. So you have your entire toolkit. So they they go ham on you, and you have to use everything at your disposal to give it back to them. And it's it's pretty great. Cool. So we take
0: down the Huntsman, and very much like we do in OG, um, Cloud looks over, like he's at the top of this... Uh, it's not a rail bridge, though, is it? It's this bricked footbridge over the train tracks, and the train is racing underneath it. He leaps off of it onto the train, and the scene is over.
1: Yeah, in OG Final Fantasy, this is a iconic moment for me cuz like I mentioned before, before I had the memory card, I was replaying this game over and over and over. And I also mentioned that the song that's playing is like pretty calm and melancholy. So just that scene of like him running away, jumping onto the train and escaping with that song as the background, it still has this very nostalgic, gripping effect on me every time I see it. So Playing through the original game, that scene, it, it's like a piece in time that takes me back to being 10 years old again.
0: I remember the emotional tension of being like, I'm gonna be late for the train, and and that we ended up on it anyways, with a dramatic you know, leap into the air.
1: Also, Remake adds in a soldier that says they know that face of Cloud, they recognize him, so they're giving a little bit of uh, that squishing we're talking about of things addressed later in the narrative happening earlier but they don't really pay that off at at all at, at least in this entry here but cloud has a little bit one of his little static flashes when the guy says that to him and it, it it almost seems like that's what prompts him to just run away like that's the more offensive thing happening to him than the guards shooting at him is somebody's disrupting his mental flow and giving him his static headache nah, dude. and he just runs off nah, dude
0: it's for the money it's for the gill 2000 gill they owe him you can't let him get away. Cloud has earned a payday.
1: That's true. Yes.
0: So we cut back to the rest of Avalanche. Barrett, Jesse, not Vix. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't help me. Biggs and uh, did I say Jesse and Wedge? Um, They're all they're on the in the train car. And in OG, we play this little humorous gag. We were all thinking about Cloud. We're thinking about the mission. And then there's a knock on the outside of the door and they all look up and listen and then they go back to the conversation. They're not paying any mention to it. It just sounds like a thump in all of the noise, right? And they continue the conversation, knock on the door again. They look up again. And then they go back to the conversation a second time. And then the next time we hear a knock, the door throws open from the outside and Cloud leaps inward. And it's, it's kind of like a gag. It's a joke. In Remake, we do talk a little bit about cloud in the mission but then he leaps in anyways no knock no gag and this kind of reminds me of the of just a little bit ago when when we were talking about wedge and his butt on fire scene that we had in og and don't have in remake we're pulling out some of the cartoony humor for a more gritty realistic remake in remake All of Jesse's comments are still coded language about Cloud. Now, obviously, she's got coded language for Cloud when she's talking to Cloud. But when she's talking to other people about Cloud, she's still got coded language going on, even if like she's got she's got the Bechtel test bad, man. (laughs) So, for example, I think she's talking to Biggs and she says he's a keeper. I'm sure he's fine. You saw him in action, didn't you? Guy's a soldier. Goddamn one man army. Hmm. You think he's a keeper? When she says he's a keeper, it's not particularly sexual, but the context of the conversation is about him being a keeper for Avalanche. But when we call one another keepers, they're like someone worth
1: having a relationship with. It's a skill, like when you're wanting to be flirty with people but you aren't directly propositioning. You're trying to feel out the waters, see if somebody is into you that like it. So you, you throw around some of that flirty language. You maybe, after a couple of days, drop an innuendo or two. If you're trying to play it cool, if you're just going to go straight in guns blazing, then you might not do that. But it's definitely a skill, the, the subtle flirtatiousness.
0: So when Cloud reconnects with the team, he posits a question out to them. Have they ever been attacked by an invisible enemy? Referring to, of course, the... Vapor ghosts that we saw a little bit ago, and I've got a quoted here that he says, I only saw them after she grabbed me, and this, and no one's really relating to this comment, and then he says, forget I said anything.
1: Yeah, and Barrett does ask, like, what's going on? What the hell you been up to? Cloud does give the excuse of he was giving public security the runaround, which is a lie, because he was waylaid by demons from his past, a cute flower girl, and then He kind of got himself in trouble by brandishing his sword in front of a bunch of soldiers, so he didn't purposely do that, but he's smooth. He's able to keep himself in Barrett's good graces by dropping that line that he intentionally was drawing them all away from the train station.
0: I guess his humorlessness and his kind of no-nonsense personality gives him the power to fudge things like that, because, well, if he's all stony-faced all the time, is anybody going to second-guess if they didn't see him do that? Mm Mm-hmm. The toughness is an emotional armor uh, that he that he uses to leverage when he can.
1: The In Remake, they also do a little bit of a gesture where he, when he says it, he puts his hand on his head and kind of brushes his hair. And it seems like a copy of the old school canned gestures that Cloud has in OG, the, one of the like five of them. He's got a head rub, a shrug, you know, we talked about that a little bit earlier. A squat. Yes. We'll get lots of squats out of Remake Cloud as well. <laughs>
0: I didn't pick up on that. That's cool. So we're going through the train. We are in a freight car and we're going to head up the train cars towards the engine. And going through the train is awesome. Nate, I love these slice of life moments uh, that we pick up on. The ambient conversations that we pick up on with simply pathing through these cars gives us a really great picture of what life is kind of like for these people. The people in different cars all live in different levels of the social strata of Midger. And so we're not only getting a cross-section of what life is like, we're getting a cross-section of what the socioeconomic diversity is of Midgar. And it begins, and because we're in the freight car, we're not going to be with the elites and the folks with the black button-down ties just yet. We're in with the punks, the slum dogs, the poor people. Following that, we're in a cramped passenger car. It is There's a lot of people here. It's a crush of people. You can feel them like kind of being in one another's personal space. And um, some are tough guys and some are people just trying to get to work. And some are especially impoverished people. And they talk to one another and they respond to you and your team as you're passing through these cars because you are some tough mothers, man. Barrett (laughs) Cloud. I mean, look at them. One of them even says like, uh, try to ignore the sword or no, I think they say just ignore the sword. Or, or it's it's just a sword. Like, Just try not to pay attention to the man with the giant sword <laughs> walking in front of you.
1: Probably wouldn't even be able to use it in there because <laughs> it's such a cramped space.
0: Yeah, good point.
1: You mentioned the socioeconomic divisions that are happening here. It's something that maybe it was because I was young or the graphics really didn't lend themselves to it or some of the interactions you have with the people in the slums. But the original game didn't really... Show aspects of people that were, you know, in that suit and tie going to the plate to do their blue collar jobs, but still didn't have the kind of income or money to live on the plate. They had to return to the slums every day. And it makes sense if they're emulating the real world and, you know, we're coming from a train that just came from the plate and is uh, circling down to the slums below. It makes sense that people would go up there to serve their masters every day so to speak but it's like i never realized that in the original that people were leaving their jobs at the plate to come live in their dilapidated shack of a home and probably hanging up that one suit they have and being a uh, regular slum citizen
0: yeah precisely
1: yeah so as we're passing through the train we have an opportunity to talk to wedge And Cloud shoots him down almost immediately and says, if you're about to unload your burdens, don't. (laughs) And Wedge replies with, you don't make it easy, do you? And I don't know, like, it seems like half that sentence was missing, but I guess it's implying that like people want to like Cloud. People think he's cool, but he's just so abrasive that it's hard to, or (laughs) I I don't know, does it did that line make sense to you?
0: I mean, we sympathize with Biggs. He's not easy to talk to. Yeah. Uh, another thing I want to point out about Car 3 is that on the left side, there's a girl in a driver's cap and white and black leggings. I recognize her from my first playthrough. What was it, one or two years ago? And I didn't expect that on my replay that they would seed her presence as like buried in the npc crowd here did you see this person as well
1: i did not see her mm-hmm. i didn't i did not notice her i should say but i know who you're talking about
0: yeah i don't even remember her name but She's an original character from Final Fantasy VII Remake, and I remember we run run into her later, but she's there. She's in that car. Hmm. We'll talk about her in a handful of episodes, I'm sure.
1: I forgot to mention, we're still wearing the flower that Aerith gave us. Mm-hmm. Nobody comments on it. If you were fighting soldiers running down the street doing spins and cutting people in half and killing military dogs, did you just randomly grab a yellow flower off of a... <laughs> display and shove it in your shirt and keep on killing or where did that come from nobody asks him that
0: it's out of character but it it's a nice little cherry on top in his outfit it it gives this little extra something well i guess it's like uh, you might say in a metaphorical sense you know like a signifier of the planet a signifier of aerith. her presence is with him now jesse calls cloud over and she's grappling with the emotional consequences of the bomb exploding as, you know, as hard as it did. Although it was meant to in original, she's still got some emotional, I mean, she's developing this emotional damage, of course. And Cloud tells Jesse that her bomb may have reacted with the Mako energy.
1: She's almost walking through the, her process out loud so she mentions it but then it's like but i accounted for that or i you know we expected that there would be something like that that might happen you know and so really it, it seems so unbelievable to her because again we saw that the amount of damage that bomb did it was almost like a tactical contained burst in a way it, it wasn't big at all it it definitely destroyed the pipe but it didn't cause all all that much damage anywhere around it so i can see why she's mystified by that she seems like a professional that would know exactly what she's doing
0: yeah she's the team's sapper and she's upset about how her bombs blow up a little baffling but it's it's fine it's fine in car four we're into the more middle class sort of echelon and we overhear especially barrett overhears shinra employees talking about avalanche and barrett joins the conversation and speaks very aggressively at these chumps uh, and he pontificates at them and then vicariously explains what he thinks avalanche might be thinking to people who don't know he's running the avalanche show in my humble opinion that explosion was a message a message to the bastards bleeding our planet dry this is Barrett's perfect opportunity to stick it to the man in flesh and blood. Although they don't particularly represent any high ranking officials. These seem to be, well, I think one of them's even uh, uh, named Shinra Middle Manager. And so you might say that the direction of the game, like the writing of the game, is shedding light on the diversification of Shinra itself. Because in the, in video game history, Shinra, you know, terrible, bad, it's basically the empire of Star Wars or any other evil empire in any other Final Fantasy. But when we have this conversation with the shinra middle manager we're revealing that there are people who are just trying to get by on their wages or salary for their family and so uh, this is another example probably the best example in the chapter of the socioeconomic forces that are being applied to the people who live in this city and it's great this does not appear in the hold on is it in the original a little bit oh i remember now we go into this okay in original we go into this car and everyone kind of spreads out and takes up a lot of space on all of the available seating, and it spooks the other common people in the that are that were already sitting down when avalanche rolled into the room, and they leave the car, and then one of them is about to leave the car from the exit that the camera is situated at because we look down. The camera is kind of is in a fixed position and it looks down the width of the and the, the well the entire. Train car right and he's standing in front of the entire screen. He takes up the whole screen uh, in original and he mutters something. What was it?
1: Something like at this time of night you never know what kind of crazies will come out. Yeah. Barrett was like, What the fuck did you just say? (laughs) (laughs) Let me let me look at pull up the footage. Oh, what was there's a different scene. What am I thinking of? This guy on my screen says, "Who, boy, this is why I hate The Last Train.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. I seem to recall that too. Oh, and what's neat about this interaction is that in Remake, the Shinra manager ain't taking Barrett's shit. They stand up to him. This frightening man with a gun arm. Sweaty, hulking, you know, like like uh, emotionally chaotic. Well, at least if you're, you know, if you're a stranger on the train, probably looks that way. One of them stands up, points, I think he points his finger too and says, We will not submit to intimidation or violence.
1: We will not submit to intimidation or violence, but work together for peace and prosperity. That is how civilized people change the world. And
0: Barrett growls at him, but then they all flee the car anyways. And then everybody else who remains in the car all scooch their bottoms away from barrett as he sits down and spreads out
1: this is his preferred spot you don't take barrett's seat
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: i think it's interesting that they did like you said the the economics of it he's a middle manager he's not a janitor he's not a peon he's a middle manager and he's still driving home to the slum so it gives me this impression that midgar the city is for the the very rich
0: Mm, yeah
1: the people who are very well set up either institutional family wealth or high up on the food chain but even even the upper working class can't afford to live in midgar proper either that or he's gotta he's he likes to go home to the slums and get down slum style
0: he's looking for those slum hoes (laughs) no he should be able to afford a better kind of girl
1: yeah well and we actually get some more time with him later so we know that's not the case
0: oh really does he take a hard right towards wall market
1: no did you because you've played these chapters did you not see him kind of hanging out in the area
0: um mm, no maybe i don't have a note on it
1: we'll address that next recording then
0: so jesse calls cloud over again She's standing at a console built into the wall of the end of the fourth car. And Jesse explains the nature of Midgar. You know, we get a, in in original, we get like a wireframe review of what the city looks like. Eight sectors cut up into pie pieces, Shinra building in the center, and generators that mark the exterior ring of the city, equally spaced out.
1: They show us this gigantic city. I think she says it was one in one. 1 in 10,000 scale something like that but that was just another moment that kind of blew me away what I was looking at it's like the the world building you could kind of call it like an expedition expedition, an exposition dump or is some as you know dialogue where yeah Cloud probably knows this already and he kind of says as much too and Jesse just replies with there's such a thing as playing too hard to get how many times do I have to tell you people I'm not <sighs> There's such a thing as playing too hard to get. And I like that line a lot because it's kind of like even you playing the remake, you're like, okay, I I know all this stuff or whatever. And she's like, yeah, but come on, you know, you want it. You want the scene redone. You want to see how they represent it. It it just wasn't intended to be delivered that way. But that's how it resonated in my mind of like, you know, yeah, I do want to see all these scenes again represented in full HD glory. So, yeah, you're right. I'm going to stop being an ass and watch all this stuff.
0: You might think that the subtext of the scene is that cloud is getting on people's nerves, or at least the cracks are showing in the niceties of the, of avalanche.
1: Yeah, indeed. And there's uh there's just a charm to her being so into the electronics and the diagrams and diagnostics and things. It's interesting that we'll learn more about our character and how this is kind of an acquired taste. Like it, it's a, passion she's picked up in in recent months or years
0: then mm-hmm. she does a little pontificating herself not quite so boisterously as barrett does but she on oh, no, actually really like this point there's a lot of counterpoints to the whole shinra argument in this chapter and here's another example i think this is my favorite uh, version of it where she says she she lays blame on the people of midger themselves she says the people are addicted to their luxury
1: the whole system is sustained by the Mako reactors which feed the insatiable appetites of the public.
0: Shinra isn't just sort of the amorphous villain in Remake. We are also saying that the upper crusters can't help themselves, can't rescue themselves from their addiction to luxury, to technology, to Mako energy, and are being part of the problem. I really like that. Uh, you know, humans can't help themselves.
1: I agree. If if you don't mind if I interject with a tangent, please. it really kind of strikes at even some of the personal experiences I've had with people that they all have good intentions in terms of businesses I've worked with and industries being in the energy industry with my previous job, being a designer there, my goal, I didn't care about making more money for the company. I was concerned with making better products and making our services better. And it's like, I could have these kind of arguments about being better and doing better work and making things better till I'm blue in the face. And there were just people that their only thing was getting ahead of the markets, getting ahead of the industry, making more money. Oh, well, we can charge them more because our competitors are charging them more. So we have to, too, because otherwise we're going to get overrun. We're going to get lost and we have to build up those resources. And our essentially everything was defensive and reactionary in how they were doing their business. And it's like you could never have these conversations of like for the last 10 years, we've made more money each year year after year, and you've brought on more employees and we've done more work and served more people. How is that still not enough for you? How are you still in this constant panic mode? So I think what she's saying here, it kind of resonates with me of this lifestyle we've created where nothing's ever good enough and we always want more and we always have to be pushing more than the next person because of this fear that if we don't, we're going to be swallowed up the ground's just gonna open up and swallow us because we weren't working hard enough. I hated living that way and being in that environment when I knew we were doing good things. You know, it 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 just became it sucked all of the joy out of doing actual good work. This idea that it's still never enough for certain people that kept pushing us.
0: Well I think a publicly held company is, you know, you know, they're they're inevitably going to be driven to, towards making more and more money. Um, they they have to. They're compelled. To, they're compelled to by shareholders and uh, folks like that.
1: Well, that's what Jesse's saying. We are the shareholders. We are the ones that have created that endless cycle of it's never gonna stop. Numbers go up.
0: Numbers go up. Line goes up. The Dan Olson show. He's got a new uh, video. Right. Out I started it. I check out. I'm about twenty. Oh, I haven't started. I'm
1: about twenty minutes in. What do you think of it? It's God. It's the you've probably seen the title the future is a dead mall or whatever mm-hmm. and it, it's so emblematic of kind of exactly what i'm talking about is everyone trying to push and cash in and you know it's kind of sad in a way that it, you, nothing can just be joy anymore it has to be a product everything has to be a product and a coin and a a a means for them to invest and i'm gonna sit on my money and get more money back or whatever and it's like hey can a movie just be a movie can a digital experience like you hop into a game and you play that game can it just be a game obviously we sell our games right but i kind of miss that era of somebody says i want to make this cool thing i'm gonna sell it for 50 bucks hey it sold well that's great I'm going to make more of that thing. Like the art of, I don't know what it, what, what how to, how to even explain it. It's just, I feel like that is lost the making something good and being compensated for it. And that being enough, Mm -hmm. Uh, Jesse says also that the towns of the slums of the sectors, because you have the plates above, they're all divided into eight sectors and the towns below them each had individual names. So this is, not just like a city this is almost like a a country in a way with or like a state where individual divided up towns were working in unison with one another Mm. but Mm. no one remembers the names of the towns anymore they've just been lost in the shuffle of you're the slums now you're the you're where we send the people we don't want to look at and so nobody has kept up with their history, with their people, with their traditions. None of that matters anymore because Midgar is Midgar. The, the titan above you is all that matters and what sector you live in is the most important thing. You've been reduced down to a number.
0: I have difficulty believing that nobody knows what these towns' names are, but it doesn't really matter because the sentiment that they're trying to provoke in that moment is that this is a story about being dispossessed. This is a story about people who have been cut apart from their homes or from their former lives or from their former lives or from from their former identities. Every character in the in OG is a representation, a different kind of representation of being cut away from something. And the world has a lot to do with it. In fact, Cloud and all of his background, of course, we know Aerith is very well. I guess I don't need to go through them all. Maybe I'll just cut all that. But the bottom line here is that Um, that comment is Final Fantasy VII. It's about loss of home, at least in the original. I think it's it's about something different in Remake, but at least in original, everybody's got a story beat like that in their background.
1: And when you think of it being a game from Japan now, Hironobu Sakaguchi wouldn't have been old enough to specifically have experienced post-World War II culture in Japan, but I'm sure he experienced a lot of stories and tales and advice from his elders of how they went from being a isolated imperial country to being a very westernized country once the americans came in and kind of set up the new status quo for them. And it was very successful for them. Their industries boom, their country grew, their trade exploded. The 80s were amazing for Japan in terms of positioning themselves on the world stage as a major economic player. And so that was the culture Sakaguchi was coming out of. He made his stamp and his success in the 80s and 90s. And so he's part of this industry that has consumed the world and he's probably heard a lot of lamentations from the elderly of saying yeah no none of these kids today you guys you you don't remember where you came from or what it was like before or what we've lost because it's rare for a entire people's culture to drastically change so quickly in in maybe even just one generation
0: so the final conversation in this chapter is between cloud and barrett and they're relaxing they're they're home free now and the sentiment is kind of like well people if they hate their lives why don't they just get out of here why don't they just leave Midgar? and barrett supposes that well it's because they can't they're kind of railroaded into this one particular lifestyle railroaded into this into to their habits, or maybe they're addicted to the leisurely uh, offerings of the city, whether that be in a slum or on the upper plate. And Cloud recognizes this. He understands that. And he, makes, he draws the analogy that these people and their lives, these pitiable people, they're like the train
1: they're on. There's only one way it can go. In the original, Barrett says, it's because of that bleeping pizza that people underneath are suffering and then when i say bleeping, it's written in the shift numerical entries on your keyboard i don't know if there's a different word for that character set
0: yeah yeah all the the faux expletives
1: yes and so even as a 10 year old i knew to read that as it's because of that fucking pizza
0: it's because of that great big pizza in the sky that people down there gotta struggle to survive Shinra sucks up Mako while the soil turns to dust. The air fills with smog and the flowers die.
1: But as a 10-year-old, I didn't know what he was talking about (laughs) when he said pizza. I didn't know that he actually meant Midgar. It didn't register with me that you got eight plates, you got eight slices, that's the pizza. Mm -hmm. And so I thought he was talking about that people that live on the plate they're rich they get to eat pizza every day <laughs> and the people that live underneath are suffering they do not have pizza in the slums
0: no pizza no pizza whatsoever
1: exactly so like they're they're stealing all the planet's resources they're creating industry they've got machines and electric lights and giant robots and cars and all of that and they also have pizza <laughs>
0: it's all because of the fucking pizza
1: (laughs) oh man
0: Uh, Uh, i should also point out that uh underneath the rotting pizza is a song in the og soundtrack probably in the remake as well and it represent it is the sound it is the sound of the slums the sector seven slums in in og and I want to talk about the track next episode because we're going to be in Sector 7 next episode. Yeah. And I want to talk about the track there, but it is nice how we have this mention of a pizza analogy. And then we also have a song in the OST that also is an analogy to Midgar as a pizza pie.
1: And it's funny that you mentioned the name of that song, because if you translate the original Japanese of the fucking pizza in Japanese, it was actually the rotten pizza. Oh, sure. But they literally say pizza. They don't have a translation for the word. They say pizza in the Japanese dialogue. So,
0: well, when you're above the pizza looking down, it's all nice. The cheese is golden brown and the pepperoni are cooked so well that they're like turning upwards and the onions are nicely cooked and it's just delicious. But if you're looking at the pizza from below, you'll notice that it's raw.
1: Yeah. Disgusting. <laughs> and not
0: just Robin, it's rotten.
1: Indeed. It's got bugs. Oh, and, and hell houses I was gonna say you mentioned uh music, right? Mm. We talked about Anxious Heart is playing an OG in remake. When you enter the car, they're playing a variation of Barrett's theme song. Also cinema also kind of synonymous with the theme song of the town of Coral. There's many variations that they work this through in remake, but there's kind of just one in the original. It doesn't play at all here in the original, but they give us a taste of it here when we enter the train, we start playing some Barrett themed music. Almost as if this is Barrett's moment. He's he's uh, going to mark his territory, stake his claim to his seat, set cloud straight on the way things are in the slums.
0: Mhm. And in OG, when this scene ends, we pull away from the train and we watch the, this rickety not rickety, but old train wind up the spiral center column of the city and the scene ends at this emotional downbeat that feels very profound and like you get what the average person kind of lives like around here especially in the slums because we spend a lot of time in the slums and in the midger sections <laughs>
1: yeah that shot of the train going around the pillar again another foundational moment for me of just being awestruck by what i was seeing as a 10 year old
0: yeah so grand
1: yeah and the scale of it because like you just couldn't experience anything like this in video games before the playstation There's just no way.
0: Yeah, in 2D, I can't picture anything else. I mean, I guess.
1: I'd say maybe the biggest thing would be Final Fantasy VI. The intro had that, like, ziggurat tower thing of where the emperor stood on am i remembering that correct you're the sixth aficionado here
0: that's correct and yeah you're you're on point it's uh the the, the imperial capital and it is built like a like a technological ziggurat and the city is called vector
1: i didn't recognize it back in the day because i didn't have the reference but after seeing blade runner i felt like that final fantasy six ziggurat was inspired by the intro to blade runner that shot in seven was another just foundational piece for me again throughout the entire strain section in og we're playing the anxious heart song mm-hmm. and so it's very melancholy and calm and
0: perfect word exact word i was thinking
1: and it has some like we talked about before some resolutions that are positive or feel like this childlike melody to it so it's like a musical purgatory the same way these people are stuck between these ideas that they could become successes they could move up to the plate but then they're traveling down into the dirt every single day they're in a kind of purgatory themselves of living between two worlds and the song reflects that i feel like so yeah we circle the pillar the train arrives in the sector seven slums and that is that for our dive into this chapter chapter two is wrapped up
0: i imagine we're going to meet some new characters next time
1: we'll see if i mod those characters or not, and I'll, I'll get back to you on the, the state i
0: mod those characters yeah oh nate you scoundrel
1: hey no 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 you're thinking no all i want no all i want is just to put them back to their original design how's that sound I'm just kidding. I like their new design.
0: Thank you for listening. The Hero with a Thousand Potions podcast is a production of Gunblade Guys. That's us, Tyler and Nate. We're on YouTube and Twitch as Gunblade Guys. And you can also join us on Discord with the link on our podcast description. And don't... Email us at gunbladeguys at gmail.com. But but you should think about liking us, subscribing to us, five-starring us, writing review about us, and telling a fellow game liker about us, too. Oh, we've got to go. This is our stop, the Sector 7 slums. See you next time. quiet pepsi stop fizzing.
1: <laughs> at one point you said og when you meant to say remake and then you also said 1987
0: 1987 my i still got the cure in my head
1: <laughs> exactly i was like I was like it may, we're still in the loving 80s music headspace forever I, I yeah um we're at an hour 40 and we haven't even gotten to the train yet okay i'm ready Oh, you you do sound different. You sound crisper. (laughs) I sound crisper. I'm trying to be salacious for the sake of entertainment.